it is finished. The three words that you most want to hear on a long-haul flight to Australia. The three words you most want to hear when you're doing the housework and doing the cleaning. But even if you uh, wouldn't call yourself a completer, finisher type person, we all want a sense of closure, don't we? We all want to know completion and finish. That on a weekend when we're told that the NHS is going to be pushed to its limits, we want to hear that COVID has finished, that COVID has been well and truly cancelled. In the big things and in the small things, we want to know that it is finished. After a, a couple of years when it, perhaps many of us feel like we have been pushed to our limits, pushed to our limits in our physical health, pushed to our limits in our mental health, pushed to our limits in our friendships and our relationships and our work and our very way of life. It's hard, it's hard holding that tension, isn't it? When you feel like you can't face it anymore. And now more than ever, we live in a, in a now and a not yet of what we're hoping for. It is finished, are the words that we've all been wanting to hear more than ever this year. The things that we want to see come to an end. We want to see the energy crisis and the cost of living come to an end. We want to see the war in the Ukraine come to an end and countless other situations. But there are also times when we hear the words, it is finished, and it shatters our heart into a million tiny pieces. When a life has finished and the grieving has only just begun, Cheryl Sandberg, who's on the, the senior leadership team at Facebook, or the company now known as Meta, uh, she wrote about uh, losing her husband and processing the, the, the grief and picking up the pieces of her life. And she wrote a book uh, that she gave the, the title Plan B. Plan B. Because she said that Plan A was no longer available to her. But Jesus' grief was not Plan B. Jesus' grief was always plan A. And we see Jesus himself in the Gospels. We see him processing this grief himself, the grief about his own death. And we sang those words earlier, those words taken from the prophet Isaiah about Jesus, that Jesus was a man of sorrows, much acquainted with deepest grief. And so to this man of sorrows, we can, we can take to him all those things that we wish weren't finished and all those things that have been finished. We can take all those things to Jesus, this Jesus who understands our grief and our suffering and our pain more than we know. And we see some of the ways in which Jesus is acquainted with grief. We see Jesus entering the grief cycle as we now understand that we see, we see anger, we see anger in the garden and on the cross. We see depression. We see uh, Jesus saying, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. We even see bargaining in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus saying, if it is possible to take this, this cup of suffering away from me. And yet in that moment, he resolves in his mind and in his heart that he will bow to the Father's will. 
We even see denial. You may think there can't be denial in Jesus Christ. What we see is when when Peter says to, to Jesus, no, this doesn't need to take place. You don't need to go to the cross. And Jesus, he he responds incredibly strongly. He says, get behind me, Satan. Because for Jesus, the greatest temptation has always always been that, that lie that he didn't need to go to the cross. And yet Jesus doesn't give in. And we see Jesus' own bereavement journey. And we see so much emphasis in the Gospels on Jesus' suffering that Jesus, he took no shortcuts with the pain that he experienced. And, and he goes through each of the very, very human experiences and stages of grief. And finally, finally, he goes through those stages and he arrives at acceptance. He arrives at acceptance and he says, it is finished. Which seems to us a strange thing to say when we know that Easter is coming. But for Jesus, it really is over, and it really is the end, and it is finished. The atheist philosopher Nietzsche famously said that God is dead. And here in this moment, we see that God is dead, that Jesus Christ has died on the cross. That's why it's so important that once a year we mark Good Friday, And we don't just dive straight into Easter Sunday. While uh, we're on the the topic of finishing, I've got a confession to make. I've never finished uh, Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ. I've never, never finished uh, that uh, film, and I think it's mainly because I have a low pain threshold. Uh, But it's important. It's important that each and every one of us, that we fully take in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Yesterday, I was at a memorial service for someone who had died in their old age. And uh, uh, about a month ago, I heard that a a childhood friend of mine had died all too young, all too prematurely. And I wasn't able to make it to the funeral uh, because I was on the other side of the world. And on a day like today, we're all here because we recognize that there's a death that needs to be marked and it needs to be acknowledged. Perhaps Jesus is someone that we love and that we know well. Perhaps he's someone that has been significant for us in the past, but we've, we've lost contact with him. Or perhaps we're just aware that the cross is the central event in Christianity. And by the way, if you feel uncomfortable with the cross... If you're unsure about it, then you are much like the early church. Because even though the cross is so clearly in the Bible as the central event of Christianity, it actually took 400 years for the church to recognize and adopt the cross as its logo, as its symbol. It took four centuries to come to terms with the cross. Such is its shame, such is its horror, But if we linger at the cross, if we don't rush on, if we refuse to to hurry away from the embarrassment and from the shame and and even our doubts and even our questions, if if we stay in this place, 
we have the opportunity to absorb the reality of what it is that is finished. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, his life is over. It also means that his work is done. That Jesus has done what he came to do and that his work has come to an end. We see wars that last for years and for decades and the work is not finished and we're not in all honesty able to to hoist a banner that says mission accomplished. And yet here Jesus can. Jesus' seemingly premature death was not random. It was not bad luck. And it was not cutting short what might have been. Because Jesus' death on the cross at age 33 is why he came to earth. All roads lead to Rome. And for Jesus, all roads led to the cross. Every conversation, every moment, every breath would culminate in Calvary. And while we try to to delay and prolong our own deaths and and to to push deaths into the margins of our lives with with gym memberships and anti-aging cream, Jesus' death was not on the margins of his life. Jesus' death was the main event of his life. It's interesting that in biographies, normally the biography focuses on people's life. And yet so much of the biographies of Jesus focus on his death. Jesus, he kept saying, my hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. But now this is Jesus' hour and this is Jesus' time. He was a man on a mission. And even though Jesus seemed powerless at his death, there's this sneaking sense that Jesus is behind this all. And he knows exactly what he's doing. That this is how it was meant to be. Because although Jesus was a great teacher, he did not primarily come to teach. Although Jesus lived a great life, he did not primarily come to set us a good example. First and foremost, Jesus came to die. The suffering was real. The death was real. And it was the main event. It was the center. And so today, for you and for me, the the question for us is, what is on offer for us? What is possible for us if we too made Jesus' death the main thing about our life? What is on offer to us if we make Jesus' death the main thing about our life? At its heart, the cross tells us that we can be redeemed. I wonder how you feel about the idea of being redeemed. I wonder maybe at the moment uh, you feel uh, like you're more sinned against than sinning. 
But sin is not neat and tidy. It has this, this polluting effect. It gets into the atmosphere and it gets into our system. Whether it's how you behave at the Oscars or how you behave at Downing Street, you can ask the question, well, who did what first and whose fault was it really in the first place? And we live in a culture that, that cries out for justice. And you don't need me to recall to you all the ways in which we need to see justice in our world. Ways in which we see evil being so prevalent. And we, we, li we live in a, in a culture that cries out for justice, but doesn't understand mercy. You and I are in desperate need for mercy. To live with a kind of grace that doesn't have an edge to it. The danger is, is that we, we can take things into our own hands and we, we draw the line between good and evil, separating heroes from villains and all these different shades of gray. And so we think, well, I might not be perfect, but at least I didn't do that. And so we get self-righteous and we get grumpy and we get bitter and legalistic. And we, we oscillate, we oscillate between, between shame and between pride, thinking that we're okay in the end. And that oscillation, that, that tension is exhausting. It's exhausting being judge and jury in your own life. And so today, the words that we each need to hear are, it is finished. If you and I don't know this, or if we forget this, then we end up in a mess. Because before we, we come to the cross, how does the Apostle Paul describe us in the book of Romans? Well, no offense to you all, but Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 6, that we're powerless and ungodly. Verse 8, sinners. Verse 9, objects of God's wrath. And verse 10, God's enemies. It's quite the CV. So it's, it's so important that you and I hear the words, it is finished. If we don't hear the words, it is finished, the alternative is thinking, I am finished. But the cross can tell us that we are not finished because it is finished. Jesus, he didn't say, well, it's, it's nearly there. He didn't say this work needs a few finishing touches. Jesus said, it is finished. And there's such a great relief. There's such a great release when we realize and we acknowledge that there's nothing left to do. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, said that there is nothing we can contribute to our own salvation except the sin from which we need to be redeemed. Because of Jesus on the cross, the redemption is finished. The redeeming is finished. You can't add any value to the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But this, this redemption, this redemption is not just some sort of download of, of points onto your phone, of topping up your nectar points, topping up your frequent flyer miles. The redemption that we see on the cross, it doesn't just, just cancel out and, and neutralize the sin. Because Jesus' redemption comes with 
reconciliation, which is also at the heart of this strange beauty, this strange mystery of the cross, that not only are we redeemed, but also we are reconciled. Because Paul writes in that passage in Romans, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, because of that, that redeeming work of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. This, this is deeply personal for Jesus Christ. Yes, what happened on the cross was a transaction, but it was not only a transaction. Jesus threw everything into this. He threw his all into this. And Paul says to the church in Corinth that on the cross, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God was in Christ, in Christ, on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. God, he himself, he was all in. This is how deep the Father's love is for you and for me. And Jesus, he, he, he came to, to destroy that sin which separates, the, the mess that cuts us off from God. And at the moment, the very moment when Jesus died, the, the, the curtain inside the temple was torn into the curtain separating us from, from the Holy of Holies, from the presence of God. And we know from the book of Exodus that embroidered on the curtain, sewn into the very fabric of the curtain, were cherubim, those angels, the, the, the cherubim that God placed at the entrance of the Garden of Eden as we were chucked out of it. And whether or not we, we realize that we've all been homesick for Eden ever since. And Good Friday tells us that the, 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 the sin that separates us from a holy God, that sin, that sin has been dealt with. And it's been dealt with but with, the, with the tearing apart of Jesus' body. I heard about a, a wedding where the couple were Shakespeare fans, and they'd asked for Sonnet 116 to be read. But instead of Sonnet 116, uh, the person doing the reading actually read Sonnet 16. So instead of uh, love is not love, which alters when its alteration finds, they had make war upon this bloody tyrant. <laughs> instead of love, this couple on their wedding day, they were met with quite a lot of hostility. And Jesus' violent death on the cross is the ultimate demonstration of his love for you and me. It deals with our hostility, our hostility towards God. And it brings us from a place of hostility and enmity to a place of love and to a place of closeness. And that's what we all need. We all need to experience love. We all need to experience closeness. Love is the deepest human need, and love is the deepest human emotion. Everyone needs to experience love in their life. 
And the love that we see on the cross is powerful love. It's love that enters the reality of our life with all its mess. As Paul writes, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the cross is that great intersection of of truth and grace. The truth that our, our sin is worse than we can imagine, but also grace, the knowledge that we are loved beyond measure. So the cross, it will challenge your pride, and the cross, it will deal with your shame. And what does Paul write in verse 5? Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so for you and me, we can see that on the cross, we can, we can understand God's love. We can see that Jesus died for us while we are still sinners, while we are still his enemies. And that's how we can know that God loves us. And through the Holy Spirit, we can feel God's love. We can experience God's love for us firsthand. Do you know this peace that Paul writes about? Do you know the peace that comes not with being on a beach somewhere or having your out-of-office replies on? But that peace that comes from closeness with Jesus Christ, knowing that your sin has been paid for, knowing your forgiveness from God and relationship with him. Relationship that comes simply by believing in him, believing in this Jesus Christ, this Jesus who makes us ransomed, healed, restored and forgiven. What Paul is saying is that if you place the cross of Jesus Christ, right at the very center of your life. It will transform your identity. And it will also transform your experience. This God coming to live inside of you and me, this God who has all the love in the universe. This Jesus who loves us in his life, has this magnetic pull drawing people towards him, drawing people on the margins right to the very center. He, he includes people. He, he heals them. He sets them free. He comes alongside them. And this Jesus who loves us in his death, vulnerably hanging there on a cross and loving us to the very depths of his love, loving us to the complete cost of his indescribably precious life. And you and I, you and I, we can know this Jesus living inside of us. Jesus himself, Jesus the price, and Jesus the prize of our lives. And so Easter Sunday is coming, and Easter Sunday is coming where a new destiny for humanity dawns and hope's horizon extends eternally. And all those things are the validation of Good Friday. But today, it is finished. The redeeming and the reconciling. The work is done. And we can rest with the cross at the center of our lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you for your unconditional, indescribable love for each one of us. We thank you that you are all in for each one of us, that your body was pierced for our salvation. And we bring before you the the mess of our lives. We bring before you our sin. And God, we are sorry. And we turn away from all that stuff that pollutes us and pollutes our world. And Jesus, thank you that you forgive us when we turn to you. We thank you for your promise that you not only poured out your love for us on the cross, but you pour your love into our hearts. And I pray for each one of us that we today might know that love, that closeness, that reconciliation with you and all that you've achieved for us on the cross. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.